Church, good morning. Welcome to the worship of First Baptist. We're glad that you're here. I got to tell you, though, I'm getting a little tired of coming in here and the place is empty. This used to be a place that was filled with laughter and joy and loud voices and closeness, uh, intimacy, authenticity. And now it's just a big empty place and I'm speaking into a camera. My only audience is Devin behind the camera and Jaden who's here. Let's not forget the innovation team that makes this taping possible. Makes it possible for us to join together in community. That's where I wanna start from today with the concept of community. One of the emails that I get on the regular is from Richard Rohr. He's a Catholic priest and a spiritual writer. And he introduced me this past week to the concept of Ubuntu. This is a South African term uh, that references community. Roughly translated, it means I am because we are. And I watched a video clip recently of uh, former South African President Nelson Mandela talking about the concept of Ubuntu. And it's multifaceted, but one way that he chose to describe it was from his childhood in South Africa. When you would travel from one village to another, you would never have to be concerned about meal preparation because as soon as you came into the village, it was there. Hospitality was an assumed aspect of the community. That's a part of what Ubuntu means. I am because we are. Church, we're part of something that's bigger than ourselves. That's one of the things, maybe that's one of the takeaways or the lessons that we've learned from COVID-19 is that we are connected to one another and it's hard at times we're struggling through mediums like this to reach out and to touch the people that we're close to, the people that we're in fellowship with. So there's a couple of ways that we're gonna try to demonstrate that today through our worship experience. As we celebrate one, the baptism of Samantha and Chris, uh, this is their moment to identify with Christ and with his community through this medium. Coronavirus or not, we continue this demonstration of community. It's second best. We'd love to be here with them, all of us together, uh, celebrating it. But from home, you'll be celebrating, and I'm sure you want to reach out to them and let them know how welcome they are in this community, in this family of believers. Also, today we want to experiment with the Lord's Supper. Many of you have said that you want to take communion. So we're going to try to do that. I have elements here and we're going to do it. So if you're at home, grab something that's nearby. If you have a Danish or a cinnamon roll or a bagel or a cracker or whatever you happen to have to eat and something also to drink. And in that moment, we're going to join together. We're gonna take the bread, we're gonna take the cup, which point beyond the symbolism to Jesus Christ, the one who gives us life, who gives us hope. 
really that's what it means to be a community. So we're going to make an effort. We're doing the best that we can. I want to go on record and say that I miss you. I miss being with you. I miss seeing you. And the longer it goes, the more we have that longing, like the psalmist, to go to the house of the Lord. That's where we want to be, is together. One day, we'll get there. Would you take a moment and join with me as we pray? God, we thank you for this day and for our daily bread. For the ways at which you are active in our lives and in the life of this community. God, thank you that we're joined, that we experience this reality. We are together. God, I am because we are. We thank you that we're joined through the body and the blood of Christ. Thank you that we found a place of belonging in his church. And God, we're walking together in fellowship, hand in hand as we're able to in these days. We want to be mindful, God, of those who are suffering, and we want to commend them to your grace, God, to your care and to your keeping. Knowing that you are a God who's present in the midst of all that we're experiencing, God, where there's suffering, you are. Where there's pain and disorientation, God, where there's anger and misunderstanding where there's abuse, where there's deep pain. God, we find you in the midst of our lives. All we have to do is lift up our eyes and look to you. The psalmist said, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my hope come from? And he answered his own question. God, my help comes. My hope is in you, the maker of heaven and earth. So God, we look to you in these days. We pray that you would use us, God, to be your hands and feet in this larger community as we move together into the new reality as spring becomes summer of 2020, God. We look to you, to your wisdom and to your ways. In Christ we pray. Amen. What I'd like to do is take some time with you today to talk about mission. Once upon a time, pre-pandemic life, I was planning this for maybe five-part series on mission and mobilizing us to find our voice. And then what? All of this happened, right? And the focus sort of became surviving the crisis. How do we get through this time? How do we learn to trust God in the midst of uncertainty? And that's important. It's imperative. Like I said last week, that we utilize this time well in terms of our own spiritual formation and development with the question always, what is God teaching me through this adversity? Where am I growing? Where am I seeing God alive and active in me? But having done that, to what end? We're formed in order to have an impact beyond ourselves. It's not just about growing and becoming and realizing all that we are in Christ, as important as that is. It happens for a purpose. It happens for the purpose of mission, 
moving beyond survival into impacting the world, finding our voice. How do we do that in times like this? How does the Christian community speak into the world's hurts? That's what I want to look with you at. From the book of Acts, chapter 17. The Apostle Paul gives us here sort of a road map. You know that Paul was a missionary statesman and pioneer in the early church. He traveled from place to place and always everywhere that he went, he sought out the synagogue. And he started reasoning with and talking to the religious people and then he sort of spread out from there. Acts chapter 17 uh, finds Paul in Athens. And it was just kind of a pit stop along the way. And it's like they left Paul on the corner and went into the 7-Eleven to get coffee. And when they came back out, here's Paul, like, engaging with everyone on the street corner. Athens was this marketplace of ideas where philosophy reigned supreme and where people would sit around and talk about and debate. And Paul found himself there awed at this exchange of ideas. And, and he demonstrated for us that the Christian gospel, the message of Jesus and his resurrection, has a place at the table in the marketplace of the world's ideologies. And Paul gives us an example of how to work our way into that conversation, into that dialogue. It's fascinating. It's brilliant, really, how he did it. He didn't quote Old Testament scriptures. He didn't talk to them from Hebrew tradition. He knew he had to have a different beginning point, and so he found his way in this secular environment which most closely mirrors our own. Verse 22 of Acts 17 says, Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Now by this point Paul had been invited formally to address the people in the Areopagus, which is like the arena, is the place where people would come and debate and talk and share ideas. Paul stood up, and here's what he said, verse 22. Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul found a foothold while his buddies were at the 7-Eleven. As he walked around, he saw all of these statues erected to the worship of different deities, the God of this, the God of that, the God of the other. And just to make sure that their bases were covered, they had this one to an unknown God. In case we've missed anyone. Paul begins with that and he says, What you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. In other words, he saw a margin where he could get in and begin to share the gospel message with people who were open to a lot of different ideas. And doesn't that really closely mirror our own time where there's uh, vast ideologies and, and everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an idea. From 
traditional Christianity to other world religions to New Age spirituality of every different stripe. And that gives us a foothold. It gives us an opportunity where there's many ideas we can have a place at the table. And we can come to that place, as Paul demonstrates for us, with humility. And he says, hey, you guys don't know everything, right? Well, here's something for you to consider. Spirituality begins with this authentic quest for meaning. And that's something that's deeply embedded in the human heart. It's been said that religion is for people who want to avoid hell. Spirituality is for those who've been there. And having experienced life's bumps and bruises and hurts and disappointments, all of us become open to one degree or another to finding ultimate meaning in life, ultimate solutions to our yearning, to our desire for connection with God. So Paul says, look, here's a chance. You guys worship the unknown God? I'm going to tell you about him. And it begins in verse 24 by talking about how big God is. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mortals life and breath and all things. Paul says God is bigger than all of this. God's bigger than the mess that we find ourselves in. That's the beginning point of our message. To look for God, we have to look outside of ourselves because as we look around, we only see what can be explained, what can be touched, what can be experienced right here, right now. But deep within us, there's a quest for something deeper, something more a sense of resonant spirituality within us that gives meaning and guidance and purpose to our lives. And it's not unique to us who are Christian believers. It's universal. So Paul says, if you want a way out of this mess, you have to look up. You have to look beyond. God is bigger than all of this. He says in verse 26, from one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he's not far from each one of us. Paul pulled a fast one on them there. Do you see what he did? He started out by talking about how big, how infinite, how eternal God is, that you have to look beyond all of this. And then he wound his way down to saying, God made us that way so that we'd search for him. So that we'd grope for him in the darkness and maybe in doing so find him. And Paul says, look, he's not that far away. That's the beauty of this. That God is eternal. He's infinite. He's bigger than anything we've experienced before. But he's not a God who's far away in addition to being transcendent, God is also imminent. Someone has said, closer to us than our own breath. God is that seed 
within us. We are cast in the image of God. And it's a part of the creation design that we know this, like there's a little piece missing, right? A God-sized hole in all of our hearts, and God is not that far away. That gives a message of hope that we can connect with the infinite God, that we can find meaning and purpose in our lives. And then what Paul does next, beginning in verse 28, it's brilliant. He says, for in Him we live and move and have our being. That's in quotation. In Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are His offspring. Another quotation. Back to back, Paul quotes the Athenian philosophers. And he says, look, you guys aren't all that far off from the truth. In Him we live and move and have our being. We too are His offspring. Paul says, you guys are almost there. You've got it. You're moving in the direction of God consciousness. That's what we've got to do as we find our voice in contemporary times. is not to draw lines of demarcation and separation that we're right and you're wrong and we've got all of the answers. Evangelists need to listen to where people are coming from. To hear what people are saying, to sense what their desires are, and to meet with them at that place. Our, our mission is to find common ground with people. Paul's not beating them over the head with Bible verses here. He's not talking about Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and David and Solomon. He's not talking about the Bible. They don't know the Bible. He's beginning where they are with their philosophers. It behooves us as believers to be familiar with contemporary ideologies and sensibilities in order to be able to engage people in a meaningful way. Think about it, especially during this coronavirus time. People are looking, right? People are searching. Now's a time for us to find our voice and to step up into the marketplace of contemporary ideologies and to have something to say, to be familiar enough with where people are, to be able to improvise as Paul did and enter into a conversation in a way that people can understand. This is a great example of contextualizing the gospel. The truth never changes from generation to generation to generation. The message and the mission is the same. But how we package that is so different today than it was even one year ago, let alone last generation. We need to be current with the times. We need to understand where people are and meet them at that place. Paul uses the Athenian philosophers as a springboard. In verse 29, he says, Now since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of mortals. Here Paul becomes corrective. He becomes more confrontational and challenging. He says in verse 30, While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, 
Now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And there it is, the punchline, Jesus Christ. And Paul didn't even say his name. He referred to him as a man. God is bringing the world to a decision point centered on one man and on on this man who, who brings righteousness, who brings justice, who makes everything right. Jesus and his kingdom, Paul said, the greatest demonstration of the veracity of the trustworthiness and the credibility of the gospel message that we have is the fact that God raised him from the dead. Well, you can imagine that it raised eyebrows in Athens. Verse 32 says, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, We will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So Paul's record was not 100%. He didn't win the entire crowd. Some of them thought he'd gone off his rocker. He was crazy talking about the resurrection. What's this nonsense? Others said, hmm... Yeah, thinking man pose. We'll listen to you again on this. But some of them became believers. Some of them bought in and became followers of Christ. And we can expect the exact same thing, mixed results. Look, it's not my job, it's not your job to convince anyone. Our job is to lift up Jesus. And the message of the gospel, the resurrection, the fact that there's life and hope in Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And all we have to do is bear witness to that truth. And what people do with it is their responsibility. I'm not here to change anyone. I'm not here to argue you into my way of thinking. I'm here to talk about this is the message of Christ. And guess what? It's changed my life. I've experienced the resurrection. It's given me a whole new appreciation for life eternal. Not just out there, somewhere, someday when I die, but right here, right now, my life has been transformed by the gospel. And finding my voice means finding a way to share that message within the larger community of world ideology. What's your place? What's your role? Where's your voice in the midst of the coronavirus health pandemic? As people are talking and exchanging ideas, I invite you to think about one thing that COVID-19 has not impacted. It's everywhere. And it's everything. It's at the forefront of people's imagination. And what they want and what they need 
is a way to make meaning out of this. How does this carry the potential of challenging and changing the way people think about what's important in life, about who they are as spiritual beings, about where they are in terms of their own pilgrimage. Paul just walked right out onto the street corner and started talking to people. Well, guess what? It's not that easy anymore, is it? You can't even go out without a face covering. But we still have an opportunity to step up into the marketplace of ideas and have something intelligent to say. Look, people so much smarter than this guy have bought into the gospel and the resurrection. Books have been written. Are you intimidated by someone's intellectual prowess? Give them a copy of uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Here's a pretty smart dude who wanted to find out for himself. Or, or consider Lee Strobel, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune that wanted to investigate it and so looked into it and then wrote a book, The Claim for Christ. Greater minds, brilliant minds have looked into this. Don't be intimidated. Don't view the gospel and the resurrection as somehow outmoded. Don't, don't find yourself muted because we live amid a plurality of ideas. But find your place at the table and unashamedly advocate for the gospel that's had an impact in your life. I think you'll find, like Paul, surprisingly good results. And remember, we're not in sales. It's not about convincing anyone of anything. It's about lifting up an ideology, a worldview, a spirituality that you've embraced and you've found meaning in, in a way that others can begin a dialogue with and an inquiry. I want to tell you, people are listening. What do you have to say?